0: Evening. I'm used to having a good evening back. Follow <laughs> me for a moment there. So, I want to welcome you again. I'm going to continue this as if there was just a 15 minute intermission instead of three months and our daughter getting married and strawberry picked and everything else y'all got going. Um, just to take a time, and I'm going to take a lot of time, but I don't want to take a lot, a lot of time, I just want to move right into it. Uh, I know the subject of raising our families is very important to each of us. If you find yourself as a child in your family, you sure hope your parents understand it. If you find yourself a parent, then it's like it's a constant learning. There are some interesting things that we are... Um, noticing. In some ways, Christianity has become more complicated and difficult, and it seems like the more, the more, of, the more books that are written on the subject, and the more psychology we understand and learn, the less likely our children are to pick up our beliefs. It's like in the Anabaptist world, we should be getting this fine-tuned to a very high level instead of losing at a faster rate. Now, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, there's a lot of value in understanding how we function emotionally. I talked about that last time, um, pointing to the non-existent whiteboards up here. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. But somehow, we have to come to grips with some grassroots, basic understanding. Open your Bibles. I think instead of reading the normal verses, just open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. While we're doing that, I need... Two young men to volunteer right here. Some time ago, when I was studying this subject, I wrote these four pillars, as I called it.
1: You've exhausted your supply.
0: See how that works. Okay, I'm going to quickly go over these. Number one, a healthy and proper and relationship with God. God is love, but still is absolute. That's something that's becoming very fuzzy in Christianity today. Focusing on the love of God instead of the completeness of the scripture. Our highest goal in life is to know and serve God. Our children need to have that instilled as a part of their value system. That we are created to bring honor and glory to God. Number two, a healthy relationship with parents and or spiritual mentors. Not everybody has parents to have a healthy relationship with. Understanding that unconditional love brings privileges and boundaries. The greatest fulfillment comes in being within the circle of the parent's blessing. Number three, influence the environment. The child will represent what has impacted it the most. We talked about this a bit last time. I'm coming to the belief, considering that God made a decision to tell Abraham what was going to happen to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. to taking the verse the way it says, based on the fact that Abraham was going to teach his children after him about God. That tells me God had reasonable expectations that it was possible for a father to pass the beliefs on. Does that make sense? And then where Apostle Paul says that we're to bring him up in the nurse and admonition of the Lord. Um, without going into more scripture and more detail, let's just start from the premise that God has given us the tools to raise our children with a high likelihood of them choosing to follow God. Each child still needs to make a personal choice as a child becomes an adult and moves through life through time, for various reasons, ends up completely off a different path. Uh, we understand that, but let's say for the first 25 years, I believe the Scripture gives us the thought that we should be able to fairly consistently shape our children. And this isn't about any criticism or condemnation to the ones that have failed to do this. Uh, what I want to do is lift up the Bible standard so we know what we're striving for and that we can band together as local bodies to support each other as we are. Struggling towards the goals that God has for us. Uh, one of the reasons that the New Testament and the Old Testament lived in the, in the family, community setting, but I believe the New Testament as well, is very strongly local body oriented. And one of the reasons for that is so that we can give each other the emotional, spiritual support that is needed. A job will represent what has impacted it the most. We are very quick to believe that when it comes to homes that are grossly abusive. We can't force that child struggle because of the physical, emotional, sexual abuse that may be going on in the home. We're very slow to believe that when we father's sense of responsibility for our 18, 19, 20, 22-year-olds making life-impacting decisions. I want to say the concept to the same. So once we understand that environment significantly shapes your child, you will start making choices based on an environment that you want your child to emulate. three, and what's under there. There is more cost than taught, whether it be from within or without the home. Number four, careful training and shaping of the character and values. Positive environment is not enough. We need to intentionally shape our children just as a potter of undress that to reach the end goal. Fifteen years of age, you should probably say 13 to 15 years of age, it gives... 15, 13 to 15 years of age is a transition age. It gives us the opportunity as parents to reevaluate our training, teaching, while the child is still young enough to be easily changed. Or I would say that it's still possible to change the direction of the child once they're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old if we apply these principles well. A parent who believes rebellion is just the stage he's going through is taking a very costly risk.
1: And I know lots of that about parents
0: that believe
1: that when,
0: especially a young man reaches puberty and starts thinking for himself, it's natural to start reacting to mom because he wants to become a man and they start becoming belligerent and all of that. I'm not saying there's not natural things that boys and girls go through But what I am saying does not change the concept of children being saved, and that the environment and training that we put them in will significantly impact that. There was a tape circulating around at one point. It came to our church, and I actually asked the brothers if we could get rid of it. But it was strong teaching that there's biblical evidence that's true, because at 12 years old, Jesus, starting with his parents, Because he was speaking with the teachers and the philosophers, and his parents went on their trip, and he got lost. I know that's what Jesus did, but what does it say Jesus did when Mary went and talked to him? Jesus, of all people, God himself, bowed his heart to his mama and said, Yes, mama, I will go home until I'm 30 years old, and then I will confuse my parents. But not at twelve years old, or fifteen years old, or eighteen years old. That story about Jesus gives us no biblical no biblical reason for thinking that rebellion should be considered normal and allowed to happen. Another falsehood is that if it wasn't for the relational struggles, and the moral struggles that young people go through, 12, 13, 14, 15, they would not see their need to be born again and accept Jesus as Savior. I do believe that a child's struggle and failure helps them see that they can't, they can't live above the flesh on their own. But I do not believe, and I want to make this very clear, I do not believe that a child needs to be angry or immoral or rebellious to see these of Jesus. I'm going to suggest there will be their needs much clearer if they are given an accurate understanding of Jesus, they live with a clear conscience between them and their mom and daddy and their authorities, and they live in a very low-tension environment And at some point, they realize that, you know what, I am a sinner because I was born a sinner, and I need Jesus to change that. And that reconciles them between man and God. And they can make a clear step of salvation without the damage and the scars that their sin several years brought in. So I'm teaching against that teaching. And I don't know what y'all believe here. I'm assuming I'm preaching to the choir, but just in case I'm not, I'm kind of starting from the bottom. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation, then we are in Christ Jesus, who often after the flesh, but after this spirit. I don't remember if I read this for last time, uh, I'm sure it's just a 15-minute interlude between the two sermons, right? <laughs> but I, I want I to read this verse for this reason. You, as a believer, have no reason to feel condemnation from God. Easy if you find yourself struggling. I'm talking about honest struggles. I'm not talking about willfully and knowingly in rebellion going against God. But as a Christian, as a child of God, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Let's say you fail miserably one day. Maybe you do what I do sometimes and get upset or impatient. Or you say words that you deeply regret. Or maybe there's a moral failure or a whatever it may be. God walks with us as a father, and there is no condemnation in his children as they continue to allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse them. They claim the blood of Jesus. They walk with an open heaven, and when they realize there's a disconnect, they immediately say, God, I'm sorry, and I'm back home again. God doesn't hold us under a cloud as a punishment. God does not frown on us. God does not hold us at arms length. this verse says there is no condemnation ever in Christ. Jesus, I believe that. That is the way we as fathers walk with our children. One of the reasons so many of us, so many young people, believe God is an angry God, and if they make a mistake, they're going to get in trouble, is because they were raised without a clear conscience. It doesn't mean we as parents didn't intend Occasionally, I catch our children struggling with that, not because I mean to do it, but because me as an earthly father, I don't always walk perfectly with my family. Our Heavenly Father does. Our responsibility as earthly fathers and earthly mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers and even single, older singles or young people, we are to be examples to each other and to the little ones that there is no condemnation in relationships. And if there's an issue, we resolve it. God doesn't allow us to walk with a troubled conscience with no way to turn. Sometimes we as parents tend to do that. Let's say the little guy is mad. And he's mad for half a day. And we just let it go. We know he'll get over it. And so we put him to bed that night. Next morning he gets up, and we hope he's over by then. And it's like there can be a buildup, a buildup of their conscience becoming challenged. And what we're doing is we're creating adults that do not understand the no condemnation concept. I have another paper I want to pass out. We'll get the same two young men. I've written down 20 points. And I'm going to go over these quickly. And then I would like to share some things that the Lord has brought to us over the years. birth to 10 years of age, up until a child is about 10 to 12 years old, their view of mom and daddy is very different than a child that's like 12 to maybe 20. I remember my children thinking I knew everything.
1: Now they don't.
0: Let me start reading at number one. Children are a gift from the Lord. Understanding that God gives us these little people and that we have the responsibility to influence them and raise them. Number two, a young child must, should and must have complete trust in his parents. We need to raise our little preschoolers in a way that trust becomes complete. One well, thing that happens, I'm going to say it's becoming more prevalent, maybe because of all the teaching or the books we've read about raising children. I think in a lot of ways, psychology has influenced our beliefs just more than we realize. And in in trying not to scar our children emotionally, we tend to allow them to be misbehaved. We start nagging them, and without meaning to, we bring condemnation to them, and we put a cloud over them. I know a lot of young mothers pray for patience, which all young mothers need patience, lots and lots of it. But sometimes, instead of needing more patience, they need more training. Think about this. You're you're raising adults. This child isn't going to stay three years old indefinitely. You've got a short window to impact this little person. And so you're actually facing someone's eternal values. And so, if you think about that, here's if you're, if you're something that I've, and I've this isn't original with me, but I believe it That's there's some truth to this. Three years old is 13 years old is 23 years old. So the respect level your three-year-old has for you will tell you something about the respect level your young teenager is going to have for you, which will tell you something about the respect level your young 20ish. Something will have for you. And so, if you find yourself chasing your preschoolers, because you won't come when you call them, just resign yourself to chasing your 18-year-old because you don't know where they are. Or you don't know what's on their phones. Or you don't know who their friends are. I had a customer some time ago in the office. kids um, interesting enough, his name was George White and he was a black man. So he said he's a black-white man. <laughs> I was asking about how he's doing and how his son's doing. His son had been a business partner in a, in a little trucking company. He said, he a trucking person. And he said he just got in bad company and, um, Ended up in trouble when he's been in jail for several years. And then he shook his head and said, You just can't choose your children's friends. I was a straight guy across the ice cream counter and I said, I can. And he saw and he looked at me and I said, I choose my children's friends. And then we trans- uh, transferred the ice cream and he left. And we—I still see him once in a while, but we have to pick up the conversation. A little later, I want to talk a little more about that. A child should and must have complete trust in his parents. Your child learns to trust you because you are safe. Part of being a safe haven is removing the guilt that child has. What's that child going to do if it's, I'll just say, an angry doll? It's going to run and cling to the parent, right? What's that child going to do if he has a guilty conscience? It should go to the only one he knows that can take that guilt away. Remember, there is no condemnation of a Christ Jesus. You are creating an example of how that child relates to his Heavenly Father. And so if you do not train your children, if your children are kicking, fussing, fighting, pushing, pulling all day long, they are becoming accustomed to out of control brotherhood. I believe that. They're becoming accustomed to not being able to resolve conflict. You are teaching them that it is normal to have angry feelings about selfish people. Think about that. We and Anabaptic people are getting away from the fact that a little two- and three-year-old can have a clear conscience almost all the time. I'll give you an example. Let's say he's three years old. And you ask him to do something. And he throws a pill. Stomping, crying. And some three-year-olds are always throwing in that. Mine did that sometimes. He needs to understand that it's not a normal way to relate. It's not an acceptable way either. But it's not a good way to relate. It's not his best interest to relate that way. Don't deal with it as you just set the house on fire. Deal with it as you have an opportunity to teach him how to be a good brother in a local body. We're going somewhere with this. The reason we don't know what to do in church is because we don't know what to do at home. Does that make sense? All we're doing is repeating our lifestyle in different situations. We need to trust. Angry parents, reactive parents break trust in their children. I don't know if I have any of my other points about trust and respect, but I'll mention that here. There's a big difference between trust and respect. Your three-year-old to trust you completely. Knows you'll never hit him. You're never going to throw him out in front of a moving car. You'll always rescue him uh, if he's in danger. He trusts you. When he's tired, he falls up to you, sits beside you in search, lays on your lap. Wants you to hold him when he gets hurt. The way to tell whether he respects you is what did you do when you asked him to do something that is not something you would like to do. Let's say you say, okay, three-year-old, let's start putting the toys away, and we're going to go to bed soon. Then you'll find out what the respect level is. Let's say the other children run outside, and you say, uh, let's stay in and help mommy first before you go out. Then you find out what
1: the respect level
0: is. Let's say daddy's ready to go to town, and the little boy or girl comes running, and go, oh, we do want to go then you find out what the respect level is. Most parents believe that their child loves them so much that they have to take them along, which is teaching them selfishness to the core. If the child's temper tantrum of love is what convinces you that he loves you that much, three-year-olds that don't respect their parents could well be 13-year-olds that don't, which could be 23-year-olds that don't. Remember, we're building something here. We all believe that society is destroying the young people. The drug-infested public schools. I don't know about Campbell County, but I know a little about Amherst County and Nelson County. The communities they grow up in. I and mean, we do VPS, and the environment these children come from is unbelievable. I and mean, if you stay out of jail, they did well. The teen practices, the um, not it's like a mom having a handful of children with different fathers. That doesn't just happen as a fluke. Like it's being strained into these little guys. That's a whole culture that is teaching them to do it that way. The young girl that we relate to is facing a very hard decision. She knows, as a mid-teenager, she knows that her culture will have her pregnant, in a year or two, will put her in a situation where she's beaten by her boyfriend, and that her children could well grow up to be molested. She knows her culture does that to virtually all of them. You have to choose, will she break away from the culture, or will she submit to the culture? Most of the time, children submit to the culture. On occasion, there's a break, but often children submit to the culture. Because it's a big pulling away if they don't. And so the culture that your preschoolers find themselves living in is very significant. Your children need trust first, and then they need to learn respect. They have to trust you enough. Know that you're not going to hurt them. And thanking them or disciplining them when they have done something that deserves it, children can actually understand that if it's done well. That's not what breaks the trust. You actually gain trust and respect by clearing their conscience and teaching them how to relate. What happens? Well, let's say you have a three-year-old riding a traffic. Well, here comes a five-year-old, just like a helicopter, coming along and throws that tricycle away, and the three-year-old screams, murder. what are you going to do? Often people rush over, grab the five-year-old, make him turn the traffic loose, give that back to the three-year-old. You can't grab your toys. And the three-year-old probably the tears out of his eyes and tell the way Do you know they both sins equally? That three-year-old just figured out that if I'm angry enough and throw a big enough tantrum, then somebody's going to come rescue him. So it's going to happen when he's 15, 16, 18 years old and to he's going have with what his parents are teaching him to bring him to the family. He's going to scream, make a big enough fit and just somebody rescue him. There are children that really need to be rescued. That's not the subject we're addressing. What we're addressing is these three, four, five year olds are learning how to do church. They're learning how to re- re- raise their own families. They're learning how to deal with relationships. Number three all children have the potential to hit, kick, punch, scream, and lie, steal, including mine. If you have a three-year-old that throws a fit, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's just means you have healthy lungs and normal emotions. I mean, if, if he throws a fit, let's say after first, your three-year-olds end up on the floor kicking and screaming, I would just smile at him and say, hey, Dad, I know what it's like to train adults at three years old. Something to be embarrassed about. Let's say your 15-year-old goes through some difficult times. It's like that's normal. But we need to create environments where so we can train them effectively. It's devastating that children to have double teachers. Children pick up really quickly if we are more concerned about what it looks like than the actual care for the child. So just think about this. You've got a handful of preschoolers, and they've been fussing and fighting all Saturday long. And then you have a church council. And so to them, it's a normal way of living. And to you, you're making excuses, and so you're mortified. They really don't always act this way. I mean, we really had a bad night last night, and I'm sure there must be something to eat, must have been a shirt, of must have been something. They know you're just trying to talk something else. They know this is normal. <laughs> we do this all the time at home, Mom. Why are you making a big deal out of it now? I mean, just because he's watching? <laughs> We're teaching him not walking. We're teaching him not good on the outside, but to be dying on the inside. What we need to do is teach them the same thing. Seven days a week,
1: every month, every year, all along.
0: And by the time they're Lee on age, they'll have <laughs> a belt pass. It's the learning and growing together. Let's say a dad comes to me and says, Hey, I caught your in a old saying a lot. And I'm hopeful that by the time my children are 10 years old, they're not going to be prone to lying. But what if the dad came to me and said, Freeman, here's the evidence. And the evidence is very clear. And both of us could just look at each other and smile and say, well, oh, thank you. I've been looking for a chance to work on this. This is so hopeful. Instead of looking down on each other or trying to cover our own failures, what if we just understand that we've all got children? Children are Jesus. Did you know that? And once they are born again, they're new believers. (laughs) New believers need to be nurtured and guided for quite a while. And we accept that fact. Back to the preschool days. If you find yourself without out of control preschoolers, don't become discouraged. In despair, but just realize we need some help to change this. I did I understand: why did God give the most difficult season to the most inexperienced people? <laughs> Maybe that's why there's grandparents. <laughs> To walk alongside and to give encouragement and support and suggestion. Number four a child forming moral compass to sense of right and wrong. How you deal with the incident is actually shaping that child's moral compass. 16, 17, 18-year-olds don't just all of a sudden turn into deceptive, secretive people. There was something shaping them as they were coming up through the years. Number five, punishment needs to address the sin and consequences deal with the result of the sin. I'll give you an example. Let's say you told your child, I do not want you to hit the softball towards the house. And like my children, sometimes they do things that we're told not to do, and you see him out in the yard, and he's hitting the softball towards the house. And you're thinking, "I just told him yesterday not to do that," and he just likes the ball a couple times. About the fourth time, the ball comes through the window. You are out of your seat, slam the door, run. I told you not to do that. He did four times equally. Your reaction to the fourth time is way out of proportion to the sin. Does that make sense? Your children immediately figure out if I cover my sin, I will prosper. God says, "Cover your sin, you will not prosper." He just figured out that if Dad doesn't know it, or if I can keep my own Dad to see what his temperature level is then I can adjust my sin accordingly. Imagine what type of church member that means. And has an eye on the preachers all the time. That's a very skewed view. God sees us all the time. God sees us the same all the time. God is very accurate. When that child hit that ball the first time, if you were going to punish him for hitting the ball through the window, you needed to deal with it when he hit it the first time. So here's an example of how to deal with that. The sin was that he hit the ball when he wasn't asked. It was strictly an accident that it went through the window. <laughs> if it would not have gone through the window, you would have. Very little feelings about the incident. You just hard say, hey, remember what I told you? It'd be over. But the fact that it went through the window raises it to a completely different level of emotions within the parent. Or, let's say the mom's at home, the ball comes through the window, and mom's afraid of what dad's going to say because dad said mom makes sure he does not hit the ball towards the house. Then we have a lot of condemnation being passed away. The child's scared, mom's scared, dad comes home, dad's angry. Imagine what that does to that child's core values. He did figure out that relationships are always full of conflict. He's ready to, when dad comes home, where's my child at? Oh, he left about an hour ago. I just hope he back of my dark. <laughs> Avoid conflict. Run from it because there's no consistency to it. It's out of control. It's like we're teaching a child with every move. The thing is, he disobeys dad. The consequences are, he may have to buy a new window, break his piggy bank to do that. He has to understand the consequences are different. Some things are just an oops. He may say, dad, I forgot. Okay, but you'll still pay for the window. Or you may say, Dad, I'm sorry. I know you told me not to, but it was so much fun, I did it anyway. And you may not even need a spanking at that point. It depends on what his conscience is doing. You may say, Okay, I understand that. And you don't have a track record of being disobedient, so if you and I can talk about it, we can work through it, we're fine. But, you're going to pay for half the window, or all the window, or a fourth of the window. Something with the consequence, We you understand that sin has consequences. Consequences are not the punishment. Anything for the window is not the punishment. We often use that as a punishment. If you wouldn't the window, then there'd be no punishment, Right? So, divide the two, the sin from the consequences. Number five, again, punishment is addressed to sin. Consequences deal with the results of the sin. Let's say you forget to watch his little brother. and The little brother gets hit by a car and is crippled for life. Some consequences are very serious. Some consequences can't just be forgiven and forgotten. We have to understand the difference between sin and consequences. Number six. Uh, one more comment on that. If we don't understand the difference, we will not understand God. Let's say there is a child born out of wedlock. The sin was immorality. The, the consequences of the child born. If that three, four, five-year-old did not learn... How can have a clear conscience, even after making a mistake, for the rest of that mom or dad's life, they can feel guilty. When God says there is no condemnation, then we turn Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? There is no condemnation. Sin is completely forgiven, and we help each other with the consequences. We all have consequences for some of our foolish moves and decisions. Some of them are more blatant, some of them are more painful, some are more obvious, but all of us have consequences for our sins, and we need to support each other with those consequences in healthy ways. Number six: err on the side of letting a baby get out of a temper tantrum versus spanking too young. Gentle consistency is much more effective than spanking. I think for our oldest one, we were, like, two trick. And we find out that some things work themselves out. <laughs> you don't have to have ready be conquered by the time you're six months old. Or even a year old. First time parents kind of feel like if you don't make it in 12 months, you're going to lose it.
1: That's not true, I'm just here to tell you that.
0: But by the time a child is two, three and a half, three, three and a half years old, if he doesn't have a clear countenance and cheerful obedience most of the time, then we see that we have a problem. Number seven, saturate them with, with the Bible and good reading. Number eight, no means, guess what? It means no. Most preschoolers do not know what no means. They believe no is based on the tone of the voice. They believe it's based on how often their name has been said. They believe it's based on where the dad's around, or the mom's around. I give an example. I had a friend who, uh, tried, they lived about 10 hours from his parents, so they travel frequently. And if dad was driving... The little children couldn't stand being in a car seat. They whined and fussed and cried. And when mom was driving, they were content as could be, because dad did not allow one. Mom did. <laughs> they thought it was kind of cute. I thought it was kind of sad. So to me, I'm not surprised that their children today are not following their mom and dad's convictions. Most of them are not. Because they learned it during the Like, there's really no moral compass here. It's strictly based on preference. Mom's preference is different than dad. When mom's in charge, it seems tricky to be angry and pushed and pinched. When dad's in charge, it's not. So that's a personality thing. It's not like a moral compass. Then when they're relating to God, they say, Well, I'd like to do this then, and I think God's. Gonna have to put up with it, and you have children becoming shaped by that, and it gets very confusing. And then, here's what happens: then, when that child is 16, 18, 20 years old, and rightfully so, the church starts bringing some pressure. You think they're gonna put up with it? No, they're not, they're gonna either rebel or they're just gonna leave. Because it's strictly a you know, church that you have any right to do that. It's just their preference on oh, how they interpret the Bible. There's no moral compass there. But think about it. Mom and dad taught them there's no moral compass. When those children were feeling heartbeat, that's when that started being seen. Now, granted, I'm guessing that philosophy was carried on through. Let's say the children would have came home to 10 years old with a completely philosophy. It could be turned around. Which also means if parents change their philosophy, it can be turned around. And a little story about obedience out of a cheerful heart. And this some stories about our family. And I'm just using it because it's a story that I understand. We've spent many hours many weekends sitting on our porch in our living room with parents who were headed for a divorce or children in shambles, or whatever. So I remember several incidents. We were out on the porch once, and our children were running around, playing ball, riding bikes, just doing all kinds of stuff. And the company's children, it's like as we were trying to talk, they had to holler at the children, correct them, fuss at them, tell them to stop, tell them to... Constantly, she finally looked at me and said... Your children listen better with no rules and I do with do all kinds of rules. And said, what is going on here? And then we shouldn't have to reinforce our rules on a regular basis like that. I mean, they know what's about the dog, they know what's acceptable. And a child, once a child learns to follow the heart of their parents, had a youth riding with our youth lunch, and they wanted to stop at a friend's house, and they thought of them. they were driving by the driveway, so they looked in the driveway and called me, and said, hey, we're sitting here in the driveway, uh, can we stop in for a while? And for various reasons, I thought they should to come on home, and I said, let's come on home this time. So the child, my child on the phone said, Dad, you come on home. And so you put the reverse, starts backing up, and the youth whisper said, You're not You're even going to argue? And no, that's what dad says. <laughs> Which means, if they are in a situation where they can't get a hold of me, what are they going to do? They're going to think, Okay, what would dad probably say in this situation? And you make the best judgment call based on what you think dad would say. And then when we get home, they say, Dad, I couldn't get hold of you. This is what we did. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to bless them for making the best decision that they could. Even if I might say, next time that that comes up, consider this in your decision. And if they were older me, I would have said, let's not. This is part of training, but I am grateful that you just made a decision. I respect you and trust you in that because you've proven yourself trustworthy. And it's like that the trust and respect just grows from that. Because that child did not sin just because they made a decision that I wouldn't have made They took all the information they had from years of training and made a decision. An example. I did, I owned Mark one time and I'm, black I was, I do 16 he, he had a big grin on his yeah hey, I just made a $100. And a $100 went into the farm, which we needed a $100. I said, how'd you do that? And he said, the neighbors were cutting the big tree down. They asked if they could roll a couple of stuff down over the bank. And he said, what would you have done? And I said, what? I'm completely You're fine. I've never made a decision. And $100 is a, a good value. I said I would have chosen probably not to look at this stump for the next two years till the berries grow. <laughs> but did it help or still that? I still think about that. But Wes made a decision based on what he expected I would do. There was no condemnation in the memory of Christ Jesus. He never felt any ill will, even if he did think about it. Oh, that's right. That is with where those. Stumps were, maybe it would have been better to tell the Paul Mall. And it's quite a you. But no condemnation. One more little story. We're sitting in our living room. We're talking with a married couple. He can't figure out why his wife is so emotional at everything. He yeah, had just been with a prostitute. Been going to strip clubs, into pornography, but she was so sensitive and kept emotionally losing control. And his children were
1: literally climbing the walls,
0: like they were everywhere. High strung, lots of pressure, and so our children were playing with their children. And Ryan, who was, I don't know, he was probably, I don't know, about this old, maybe 6, 7, probably needing a tension release. I would if I'd have been out with the children, because I definitely wouldn't be with the couple. <laughs> he came running through the living room. Like, physically running. And dashed out the other side and went back outside. That husband looked at me and said, Freeman, I just lost all respect for you. Your child runs in the living room for their company. Jesus can say they're divorced and their children are not following the Lord. I'm okay if your children don't run in the living room. Mine did not either. But as I look at the sacrifice our family carried that day and many other days, I just smiled and waved at him when it went past. I was just grateful that he wanted to be near me as a sense of security to go back out into the pressure. <laughs> you can talk about it later, That you know what? When there's company here, it's better to walk. It's not quite as disturbing. There is no condemnation in the Christ Jesus. One, the biggest thing that brings condemnation is when we say no, but we don't follow up on it. Number nine, by 12 to 18 months, a child should be able to sit on your lap at the dinner table without having to push the plate back to keep him from grabbing it. Again, he's are general agent, but I want you to think about this. Some people have four or five-year-olds that they still can't sit at the table. But think about this. Let's say you have a year and a half old child, and he's sitting at the table, and he's still grabbing your plate. It's not that that means he's going Turn away from God. Please don't take me to be saying that. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, it is so simple to teach them not to grab your plate. You reach for the plate, and you flick his hand a little. So you, you reach for the bird again, you flick his hand, and so then he pauses a that. Okay. and he looks up at you and it <laughs> out. While he's looking at you, and you flick it again, and he says, "Okay, I got it. Just want to make sure. Now I know." that I'm not to grab that plate. So if you're still fighting that week after week, month after month, all I'm doing is telling you that you can actually make a transition and the heat in your home just rises. So let's say you have a three-year-old sitting there that's not throwing food all over the floor. You have making money on your lap that you don't have to be grabbing at the end or pushing your plate back or imagine the peace in mom and dad's part when they can actually have a piece of wheel instead of fighting, fighting, fighting and seeing which one can grab the fastest. So you've got your two-year-old on your lap in the phone range and you get the phone and you reaches out and grab something. And then you've got the phone, you've got your child, you've got a mess, water runs off the table, and that's for tempers in most. That's the mom's self for patients. They <laughs> think it's great, but maybe training is what's needed the most. Does that make sense? Careful, systematic training. I remember one of our little ones. Uh, I don't remember because somebody commented on it, because I thought it was probably normal, but evidently it wasn't. One of ours was just old enough to, you to eat popcorn. Yeah, you know, little guys grab popcorn, and you have to make sure they get They so make a mess, or they fill the bowl, or they choke themselves. Anyway, we told him just to get one piece at a time. And it wasn't like a discipline issue, but we just taught him to get one piece at a time and see all he wants. And so he said, hey, he's popcorn. I don't know, 20 months or two years, I don't know, a little popcorn. How was the job when he started to eat popcorn? How old would he be when he to, to, to eating it? popcorn? It's been so long. And at whatever age that is, and he's reaching and getting one piece at a time. He's eating popcorn, and he looks happy as clam. Nobody's flicking him. Nobody's grabbing. Nobody's pushing. And what surprised me was the surprise from the adult and said, "Wow, look at that! He must have been born in a zoo." He was a normal child. It's like that wasn't a sideshow. Or if he was told to go put trash in the trash can, say, put your tractor down and go try it over, drop in the trash can. Wow, you must be a can. No, he did just like the couple times. It wasn't like even Corporal punishment. Children... Having cheerful obedience at a young age. You know what it's like when your Heavenly Father, when you just bask in your Father's love? Just imagine your child living for that. And so a three year old max his sibling. And you go straighten it up, you discipline them accordingly you divide them if you need to, you take the boys away, whatever you do, and then you get everything back on track. The next time, when that child thinks of smacking his sibling, he thinks, uh-oh, it's going to put a cloud between me and mama or me and daddy. And that clear relationship becomes the driving factor to where that child is a young believer. He faces temptation and he looks up to his Heavenly Father and he says, Father, give me the strength not to do anything that's against your will. And he learned that at two and three years old. Ver, uh, number 10. By 24 to 36 months, you should be seeing a obedience on a regular basis by the time their child is three years old, if they're not, if what characterizes them except their first call should be? <laughs> that's where they throw their steps. But that's okay. Remember, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. By the time they're three years old, cheerful obedience should be normal. If going to advance to fight, then we know we have a trust in them it's going to the table to sit down as a fight or it's loading up in the car or leaving a friend's house or setting the table, then we know we have a transition to make. Fearful obedience should be the general response. Number 11, you need to be able to tell the difference between the desire to help mommy or daddy and personal pleasure and selfishness. And we talked talk about that. Let's say the little girl wants to watch this. Can I love my mommy. I like to help mommy. And if mommy says, let me do it by myself today. Oh, I can't mommy. No, I do not mommy. You don't let me help mommy. That child is selfish. She's not doing this because she loves mommy. She's just because she loves herself. She loves herself enough to want to be with mommy, yes. But it's not because she loves mommy. Sure, she loves mommy. But that's not the driving force. The driving force is selfishness. And we we'll often get that mixed up. You should be able to tell the child, look, today, Mom, will do the dishes alone, and I want you to pick up the toys, while i do the dishes.
1: By the time they're three years
0: old, and again, that's general, but by the time they're three years old, they should definitely we'll be able to do that most of the time. If not, then we see on a foundational level, there's some cracks there that need to be addressed. Number 12, by five, six years old, should have a child doing basic chores on a regular basis without complaining. He should be feeling like an important part of the workforce. If your six-year-old is going to be gone overnight, you should be concerned that the household can manage without it. They need to be an integral part of the workforce. Thirteen. By 10 years old, he should be a part of the workforce that keeps your home functioning smoothly. What is the challenges that moms have if there's multiple children as a house becomes a wreck? I have several suggestions. I've never been a mom. I've never been a stay-at-home dad. Actually, I have been a stay-at-home dad during the worst part of my whiplash repercussions. I stay at home a lot more than I'd like to, and I've looked to the household functioning over those years. But let me make a suggestion that I believe could be very helpful. We're down to nitpicky. I mean, some homes are so neat and tidy, a child almost doesn't feel comfortable living there. That's not what we're looking for. But let's say there's Legos all over the floor. A child says, I'm going to go out and bring sandbox. And so you go out and play the sandbox. And the next job comes in and puts dolls all over the floor. And then they're folding laundry all over the floor. And so by now you've got like three layers all over the floor. And then someone knocks on the door and mama thinks, the dead away out of embarrassment. I have a suggestion to avoid that Legos all over the floor. Perfectly acceptable, perfectly fine. The God wants to run out in the sandbox and he's ripping for the door. He say, hey, remember, pick up this first before you go out. Sure, I forgot. Careful. Run picks back. Pick your, and Mama can even help pick him up if there's too big door to discourage a three-year-old. But pick him up, put him away, and go out. A house did not have to become a wreck if there's people living in it, unless all those people have outside jobs that take them away on a regular basis. And the best money my understanding, three to five year olds typically don't have outside jobs. Which means they live at home and they can pick up one project before they start another one. Or maybe have two projects, depending on the size of the project. But children can learn to pick up after themselves. Let's say your mom's in despair because there's mud cracked all through the house. That's a training issue, not a money issue. Let me tell you how simple that one is. We have a few, a few stories of young men that my wife trained that were not part of our house. One in particular, the mom's was just in despair. I he cannot get him to put his boots on. I cannot get him. He's like, it's like anyway, he had never met the wrath of my wife. He knows money now. Righteous wrath. Right. <laughs> He comes marching in, tracks mud, and Emily says, Hey, who just came in and just there's a rag, clean it up. Guess what? Next time he came in, he did it again. Hey! Whoops! <laughs> it wasn't longer, he wasn't tracking mud in the house. No condemnation. No anger, no frustration, just no money. My old grandson, uh, I noticed his jacket and stuff piled inside the door. And so I said, hey, who's is this? It's mine. And I said, well, would you mind putting some somewhere beside in front of the door? So he goes and takes it to the side. <laughs> Which was acceptable. when well, he's learning <laughs> He's running. No condemnation. Smiled all the way through it. Didn't take it as any discipline because it was just, you know, you don't drop, you don't shed your clothes as you're running. Now I'll tell you, if Daddy sheds your clothes as you come through the house, it's going to be hard for children to be taught differently. Really. Number 14, if you find yourself repeating in your command two or three times on any level of frequency, your child does not understand obedience. You can double check yourself on a frequent level. Let's say you find yourself telling your child for the third time, instead of thinking I have a bad child, you have to say I'm a negligent trainer. And the trainer needs to change. There was you know what it's like if we raise our voice a couple of decibels every time until we get to the point that the child realizes, well, hey, I better do this. I met a dad once that he wasn't going to raise his voice, so he lowered his voice every time. And then and by the time he got to whisper, the child knew, man, I better go do this. <laughs> and it was funny because it did the exact same except it sounded more spiritual. But it confused the child on the same level. <laughs> anyway, so go by frequency, not tone. Number 15, seldom should your child be in an the environment that allows things to happen that violate your principles of right and wrong. Only give them as much freedom as they have proven them themselves trustworthy. I would like to talk about this one just a little bit. And I'm at the point that I don't even like to talk about number 15. It can give me a no-return invitation by saying some of the things that I'm going to say tonight. One of the greatest challenges of today is guiding parents to understand number 15 in an Anabaptist environment. You've probably all seen someone that comes from a non-Anabaptist background, comes to church, and doesn't let their children get more than about three feet away from them. And we all think that's ridiculous. they let them go to Sunday school, They home school, they um, uh, don't let them play outside, and we'll see, oh man, those poor children, they are still so sorry for them. Why don't you let them play with the other children? I'm the first to say that a significant, it's an overreaction with what those standards are doing. But what I'm going to be equally quick to say is they understand something that most Anabaptists don't. Remember the quote that Hillary Clinton used to say, it takes the village to raise a child? We all disagreed with it. We weren't that liberal. We weren't going to let society raise our children. But in an Anabaptist way, we allow our society to raise our children. The environment, let me tell you how this works. Let's say there's a conference, like a Mennonite conservative Mennonite conference, that is very regimented, and everybody there likes it, they accept it, and it works well. Systems duplicate themselves. Does that make sense? Systems duplicate themselves. And if it's a good system, you have good duplication. If it's a bad system, you have bad duplication. But think about this. Systems duplicate themselves. Children are a product of their environment. If you have a good environment, you can be an ugly than (laughs) death. If you have a bad environment, you can't be an ugly than that. Systems duplicate themselves. We're there about the people have very different rules than we expect our non about friends to have. Let's say you have someone that comes from a Heathen background and his relatives and family gatherings are drinking and carousing and immoral. We would all respect him for not allowing his children to integrate into his extended family. Here's what happens if you are a DNA antivacal. We allow our relatives and our church to pretty well determine what our children become.
1: Let me tell you how it works. A good
0: training concept. Last time we talked about that Eric and Julian wouldn't let their children play out on the road on a busy highway because they don't trust their child enough to even play in the ditch. But did you trust her enough to play in the building yet, <laughs> But let's say the child's 18 and he can go out the doors to where we don't know what's out there, where he's going. Okay, so there's the concept. Allow your child to go as far as the trust has been established. So, let's say you have a 15-year-old that has learned cheerful obedience, complete trust and respect. That 15-year-old could go on a trip with friends or family, no problem. Let's say it's a child that has not learned trust and respect. That 15-year-old would gravitate to the lowest denominator everywhere he's at. The argument against that is you have to, you have to show a child you trust them, so you have to let him do things. Okay? Let me break that down real quick. Let's say a child 15-years-old and it's time for him to get a driver's and to learn how to drive. That's okay if he's trustworthy at this point. But if he's 10 years old, you don't get him driving from that. You don't let him practice on a busy highway driving. And if he's 5 years old, you pursue that. So that means you, you clearly know that it has to be maturity appropriate. We tend to use the biological age instead of the emotional age. So when a child reaches certain age milestones, they do certain things regardless of their maturity level. I'm going to give you an example. Let's say at 50, 60 years old, a child goes with the youth group, in a youth group-oriented church. That's based on biological age, not who the youth are or who the child is. That's where our environment is raising our children. So if you have a child that's struggling, which some of ours did at that age, if there was other struggling youth, they completely destroyed each other. That's how we almost lost our oldest son And the Lord gave me in, in, the Lord burned its principles in my heart to the level that I need to explain it here tonight. I tell you, I'm a 16, 17, 18-year-old. Do you want to send to Bible school? Bible schools are good places, right? Bible schools can be the devil's playground. Did you know that? depends on who's there. We send our children to what we believe are true places, regardless. And again, this is general regardless of who's there and who they're going to connect with. Let me preface what I want to say next with this. I am not one that believes our children need to live in a greenhouse. Our family grew up friends with lesbians, young man went with Christy once to visit one of her friends, and a 75-year-old grandma offered to go to bed with him spot. I'm talking about situations that were not what we would consider real Anabaptist states. <laughs> We've, as a family, gone to a beer parties multiple times, birthday parties, different things. I'm not saying any family should be in greenhouse. I'm saying you cannot let them go farther than trust has been established. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Our thought daughter, Christian did not go to music camp until she was old enough to know the difference between what we biblically believe and the departing culture of the Anabaptists. Her first time at music camp, she came back absolutely shocked at a whole world out there she did not know existed. That people wearing dresses and veilings and young men that supposedly came from pastors' homes or Christian homes, the nonsense they talked about, and the, just the relationships, and the worldliness in We had very carefully guarded them from what I call the departing culture of the Anabaptists. It's not the drug addicts that are going to destroy your children. It's our own people that destroy our children. And I came to the point that didn't make any difference. Was it cousins? Was it families from our own church? Was it a Bible school? And I know that type churches have a lot of Bible schools. Was it a Bible school? Was it a mission trip? Was it a youth rally? Didn't matter what it was. The decision was made based on what I believe was the child's best interest. Not a very popular view. And for some, I am not a very popular person. I've gained some friends, and I've lost some friends. But i tell you what's beautiful. Let's say I have a struggling child in my home. And you have a struggling child in your home. And I can sit down and say, brother, here's what we're struggling with. This is why I'm not comfortable my child doing it overnight with your family. How can we work this out and we're supporting for both? Fathers working together is one of the best things that can happen. Then you're on the same team instead of building walls and causing division." But it's like somehow we have to get beyond the point that just because it's Anabaptist, it's safe. Did you the Anabaptist circles are Jim? Or maybe new believers that are struggling? Did you know that? And maybe some that are not following God at the moment? And if we have a child that's struggling... And they connect with the lowest denominator. A true story. Several girls, 15, 60, years old, had a really good Bible school. They were together for a day. Parents let them go because he's a good Bible school. And I know, I know, I'm not guessing, I know they talked about sex, they talked about getting pregnant, they talked about getting drunk. I had warned some of the parents before they let them go, and I talked to them afterwards. And here's what I told the parents. I am not going to continue investing my time, speaking to parents that have no interest in what I'm telling them, when it is clear as a writing on the wall. We as Anabaptist people are some of the hardest cultures to crack this concept. Since social media has come into play, raising children has changed forever. Most of the Anabaptists have not come to the point yet to acknowledge that. And we're still raising them the way we used to raise them, and it's not working anymore. There's a whole generation amongst the, some of the more, I don't know, local conservatives, of are conservative terms, I don't know what these mean to you. but I know what used to be the run of charity churches, what's coming into some of the Mennonite churches that would be on the same playing field as some of the charity churches. The parents are no longer shaping their children's convictions and beliefs. Their peers are. And you remember the chart I drew last time. Instead of having parents radiating out their beliefs, it's their peers radiating out their beliefs. Internet research makes this generation of 15 to 25-year-olds way more knowledgeable than people like me are. Or people like most of you are. So they have knowledge is powerful. They know how to do church. They know everything about modesty. They know everything about social relationships. And they're completely changing the paradigm that a lot of churches have believed for many years. Social media has brought something in that has been absolutely life-changing in how parenting needs to be done. So what do you do about it? It depends on what you believe. Somebody says, well look, if you don't let them have a smartphone until they're twenty years old, then they'll go crazy with it because they never got used to it before, okay? Let me challenge you with this. Let your five-year-old take a vehicle out on a busy highway. He's to learn to drive sometime. And if you don't let him drive when he's low, he won't know how to handle it when he's big. He's going to go all kinds of places he couldn't go once you give it to him. That argument is so full of holes. I'm not even going to spend my time on Sure technology, I believe, is here to stay until Christ returns. I believe that. But the rules of what shapes your children have not changed. So you know if your children go to a Bible school, maybe you guard your home from that and your know, children have a relationship, and they become heart friends with youth that aren't being guarded. Now if you're using a stable, it's fine. But that's the exception rather than the rule. Children tend to gravitate to the fast way. just the way it works. Social media has brought a completely new perspective to that. And the constant relating and emotional exchanges uh, has completely changed how humans relate. And here's something I've told our church over the last 10 years. I think we can either give it 25 years and let the secular world give out clear warnings what's happening, or we can allow the Spirit of God to show it to us right now. And we don't have to experiment like so many Anabaptists are. Think about this your child who's down to three or four years old has a cheerful obedience no countenance, no condemnation, and it gets to the point of everyone else is going to the school. By then, he's used to everybody else doing things, and he doesn't. But because with the circle I drew last time, there's such value there. I mean, imagine going to a drinking party. (laughs) Imagine going to a party where you can talk about Jesus, to people that have never heard about Jesus, without having to spend thousands of dollars to fly to some undeveloped country. I'm talking about people in for burge Gladys, and Amherst. And you understand the value of a minister of reconciliation. And you have people in your home that have completely destroyed their lives through drugs and immorality and whatever else that goes on. And you have no interest in going out there because you know the damaging devastation of that. Imagine having people over to your home where you're playing games and Dad's out playing with you and you're relating with Dad and you're not hiding anything. And then you're 67 years old and never else you're the Bible school and Dad says, you know what? I'd like to find out a bit more about what it's like before we go. He'll be okay with it because he grew up with it. He understands godly authority. He understands that His heavenly Father is asking Him to be a pilgrim and a stranger. He understands that being a true follower of Jesus means that it's not about just blending in. He understands that when His buddy says, huh, I wouldn't let my dad do that to me, then he needs to pray for his body, feel sorry for his buddy. But it starts when they're little. And it's like we let them run wild when they're little, and then we them to suddenly change when they're adults. And then we are confused because they leave what has been so dear to us, not from a cultural way, but from a biblical way. I'm personally not hung up in culture. But I do believe a lot of our culture is Biblical. And so it's a biblical belief, not just a cultural belief. I mean, in fact, it was a little hard on my mom that our children didn't learn Pennsylvania Dutch. And I did fine to learn Pennsylvania Dutch, in French or Spanish is more useful. I have nothing against speaking Pennsylvania Dutch. But our home had non Dutch speaking people in it most of the time. And if we really wanted for them to feel like a part of us, and we weren't going to speak Greek to them when we were at home and they spoke English. I mean, that's a simple solution. It's not about culture, but a lot of our culture is biblical, and we need to know the difference between the two. Some things we can't lose. Some things we dare not lose. Our children grow up hanging on to some things and the others at random. And it's because we've taught them it's all relevant. Like it doesn't matter. We dodge conflict. We run away from something. We as a church can't work out our differences. And so, let me tell you, just a conversation today. We were talking about why, and I've had very, very dear friends, my age and older even, that grew up like I did with the same doctrine and beliefs that went out into mainstream Christianity. I think this is one of the reasons it happens this way. Holding a doctrinal line can cause tension and conflict when there's differences in belief. If a church struggles to the point, or a home is struggling to the point that the tension becomes unbearable, to get away from the tension, they usually get away from the doctor as well. And it's like they leave the lifestyle because they put the tension and the lifestyle together. If your children grow up learning that there's peace and harm in our hearts, and that the Word of God is our God, the chances of a radical change like that over a short period of time is very low. Because they've been anchored in a foundational way. Saying that the only thing important is that my children love Jesus is a little short sighted. You want your children to be able to repeat a lifestyle that's conducive to following Jesus. You have your grandchildren, great grandchildren, and great great grandchildren. You want to start a lifestyle that's biblical and conducive to following Jesus instead of a lifestyle that militates against following Jesus. Number 16. There are spiritual principles and life principles do double duty to teach them both. We talked about that in the last section. Number 17. Good field and timing are much more important than any particular technique. What do I mean by good field and timing? In the horse training world, the difference between a phenomenal trainer and average trainer is probably about half a second in field time of when you click and when you let it go, knowing exactly when to do what. We'll the same way. Let's say you find yourself going into some after it's been going for five minutes. That's poor field time. You need to know when to, stop, when to stop it, when to touch it when it's still little, when it's still, before it gets out of hand. And then the results are going to be much, much greater. But field timing is very significant. 18. Children are the greatest investor for the kingdom of God. 19. Never forget number three. And that is, every one of our children can do the most unexpected, embarrassing things at the most inopportune times. Let's band together and support each other in that. Number 20. Parents, to be the greatest prayer warriors, your children's souls are at stake. And I have used that verse, find a strong man while your children are young. The devil wants to use the inconsistencies to destroy your children. We need to take that privilege away from the devil. And we need to anchor that when the children are young. John 1, four: there is no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. That verse that John gives us there, I believe, is not, in context, is not for your biological children. I believe it fits for your biological children. We fathers like to use it in that way, but that's not the context it was given in. Think about this. Suppose you are part of a community that creates environment, that teaches these little people and the young people and the young marriage about Jesus in such a beautiful way. That it works harmoniously, and, and that each one of you in your local body can go to bed at night with a smile on your face, saying there's no greater joy, and to know that our children are walking in the truth. God bless you.
1: I switched some water to coffee; so it's probably good for a while. I didn't think not speak yet, though. So.
0: Here's the thing to remember. Social media is not the issue. It's just the catalyst or the incident. Once you understand that you do not want your child with an influence that will shape it differently than what you biblically believe is important. That all of a sudden makes it it a lot easier. There's a quote there's a lot of good answers but a few good questions. And if you can boil it down to the few good questions, it answers a lot of things, very simply. So let's you take social media, for example. Let's say you're the father and a mother and a church. Let's say you believe that the shaping should only come from people that will enhance or encourage support unless the child is stable enough to him. That means there shouldn't be any influence from anywhere, including social media. Which includes the Bible schools, and the youth rallies, and the church schools, and the people you bring into your home, and the family gatherings. It includes everything. Okay, so the real question is, what do we do if there's an avenue of influence that may bring things in that were uncomfortable. Let's just say that's a good question. And the issue at hand is social media. So let's just say you believe your home could be the major thinking factor. That tells us that any child that used to need to be the major shaping factor is not to be turned over to social media. Once you know all the need to be the major shaping factor, then sure, then maybe it's okay. But so it's not an exact age. Uh, our children, Christy, who's married now, she got her first smartphone once her boyfriend was released to buy her one. Now she needed one sooner. It wasn't a matter of not trusting her. Um, she had a. She came in touch with dozens of people with her little what's called a dumb phone, in texting and communicating in that way. Uh, I have free access to read my children's texts at any point. Some of them even bring it to me to I just want to you know, say So you know, not that I'm think you have a problem with it, but just let like, you know what my texts have been, or maybe there's an opposite gender that we knew we need to be careful with. So, Dad, yeah, look, here's what we text last night. How do you feel about it? Uh, that's part of the training in building trust. And so, back to the, the question is, what do we do when there's an avenue of influence that we believe could confuse our trouble? If at all possible, don't let that avenue come in. By the child 16, 18, 20, 25, because we don't want our children confused, right? As the child stabilizes, they can have more access. It's not a social media question; it's a shaping question. And then it opens up a lot of other questions: is the time it consumes, the fact that the emotional support comes from around the world instead of the local body, that becomes problematic from what we have been about to believe. All of a sudden, we don't need each other. Uh, Here's what happens. I'll just, at random, uh, I'll... Eric, here's a good one to pick on. Let's say Eric and his family have a WhatsApp group, like our family has a WhatsApp group. Eric can easily have his emotional needs met by that WhatsApp group, which takes away from his value in brotherhood. Does that make sense? Because, and I'm not saying it, it's not that WhatsApp groups are wrong. All I'm saying is, we just the value of connecting and working through things with our brothers. Social media is creating a disconnected society. Take a place like South Korea, who's like on maybe the cutting edge of this techy stuff. It has completely changed, for the rest of the world's alarm, at how they can even look at each other. And talk to each other. We're then about to survive into that. That's what I want to tell you tonight. And I'm not a gloom and doom preacher. I'm not... I don't see the devil in every bush. But what I do see in my social media is significantly changing the way we think, the way we relate, the arrogance among the young people. Young people are taking their own way. has completely changed in the last 10 years. Very, very different from the ones that are heavily involved in it. Now I'm sure it hasn't affected Eric in a negative way, (laughs) but if we don't understand, let's say, let's Eric make special attention to stay connected to the brother here, still go to the prayer meetings, still physical prayer meetings, like side-by-side prayer meetings, not just uh, social media prayer meetings, then you start undermining a very important value. And so we all need to understand social media, but back to the youth. Same question. Uh, what is it doing? Is it shaping them? Is it taking their royalties? Uh, are they becoming more concerned about what? Let's say, let's say, an eighteen-year-old has a question: Is he naturally going to social media? Does he come to the mom and dad? Are we changing the royalties here? Are we changing where we go for support, for spiritual support? Those are the questions I would look at. Now, if there's bad stuff going on, that's an absolute. It's the good things that catch us by surprise and confuse us. And then when the good things are in place, bad things tend to slip in on social media. Young people are counseling each other way more than their parents and, and church leaders are counseling them. So our level of counseling our youth has dropped by probably 90% in the last several years. They answer their own questions. Anybody can do a blog site and be a professional simply by doing a blog site. Any 20-year-old young lady can do a blog site and other 15, 16, 18-year-olds are being shaped by it. That's what I'm talking about. Not just the phone in your your hand. And if we as Anabaptist people don't sit up and make some changes, it will completely change how we do church in an amazingly short time. We have seen a huge difference already. And at large, in the your level of Mennonites, the BMA churches, the charity churches, let's just take that. The changes have been dramatic and a lot of them have been devastating. And then we look at the one to handle it well and we say, and then we make the rule by the exception. The exception can never be the rule. But then I would take the same thing about sending a child to Bible school or anything else. Don't let them go farther than they're mature and or stable enough to handle. Otherwise, you are not the one that's shaping them. You think you are? You're sitting in the living room having a happy family and you're running on a smartphone laughing and sharing jokes. They're communicating with 500 other people, not with you. <laughs> sure, they look at you once in a while when they have something they want to share with you. But it's like the world is shaping them and influencing them in ways that we don't even realize. And it all happens with us as parents' permission. And we don't, and then when the subtle changes come in, we don't understand why they're coming in. Because doesn't mean it was easy before. But I'm going to tell you, raising families with social media is way more complex than it was before. It has completely, completely changed it. Now, all you need is one cousin that has a card in his pocket that may be this big that you have no idea at a family gathering and your child can be introduced to all kinds of stuff or nonsense. We still need to be trusting, but we need to be much wiser and much more careful of what many, many Anabaptists be destroyed and are losing their way. Um, does that answer, or do you want to make it clear? So, like I had a 60-year-old and needed a smartphone. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it if it's actually needed, but there would have to be filters, or guidelines, something in place. Otherwise, you're sending a 10-year-old out on a busy four-way highway. Even if he's not a 15 year old there's temptations temptation on there that he's never thought through. He's never become anchored in hell to fight against. The tapping the music. Did you know most thing about these young people listening to rock music? When 15 years ago we have been horrified at the thought. Can they call it Christian rock. Or they may be a rock band that's in Christian music. It's like it's unbelievable when you actually think about it. Of what we believed 15 years ago versus what's normal now. I go to these Bible schools and talk to some of the young people and even some of the church pastors don't believe the stuff that I tell them. But I'm at the point that if if I know the truth, you believe it or not, isn't going to change what I believe. (laughs) And i talk with parents and beg them to consider things. Hey, freeman you're just, you're just making it up child's wives child this child that but I'm going to tell you once the devil gets hold of the child they wish decide if they're wishing to stop and take a note that's the burden on my heart tonight that might like have two battles. one is the three <laughs> force, that's the interesting one and then the other one is raising teenagers amongst us for the years tough enough the way it was But social media has completely changed it. Completely changed it. Uh, Another thing we're buying into, we we text each other in ways. You can say things in a text that you'd never say face-to-face. We're already changing how we communicate with people. It's much easier to send a text than to call someone and tell them something that's a little difficult. Um, That can be okay, but we're changing on a foundation level. We We to be aware of what's happening. And so sometimes I think the bigger issue of is social media as the adult. I've watched many sons be destroyed because their dad needed their, they needed it for a business tool so they justified it. And I find it ironic that we had about business excuses to send our sons to hell. To me, that's anti-Bible and what we believe believed for many years. And I would say don't make your home more vulnerable than what you're hoping And so again, there's, if you take two or three good questions, and it'll, answer almost, it'll answer almost every question. Take two or three good questions and you'll find almost all the answers that you need. What do you want to shape your children? What is shaping your children? And at what maturity level can they handle a certain influence? And if, if you take that concept, it would do you well in almost every situation. And then if you have a deal, with it, let's say you have my family over and you don't quite trust my family, it's an easy solution. Just hang out with my kids. I don't have a problem with that, unless I don't trust you. And if I don't trust you, I'm going to hang out with you, too. And then you're not going to spend time together. (laughs) Which is what we're supposed to do. (laughs) But let's stop violating our own principles by default. That's what's happening here. We say we believe certain things, but we live entirely differently. time we stop living differently than what we believe. And it's us by surprise or being blindsided. One is the psychology of not making sure, of making sure we don't damage the children emotionally so we turn them into brats. And brats damage them emotionally. And the other one is that we have to trust our teenagers to let them kill themselves and destroy themselves, kill themselves spiritually even physically. The cutting due to depression and attempted suicide has skyrocketed amongst the Anabaptist people in the last 10 years. You wouldn't believe the scars we see on young people's arms and legs in the last five or six years, and it's got a lot to do with social media. The secular world calls it social media; it's Facebook depression. Then we have these country Christian country singers that write songs about their relationship with God that are skewed in theology that these people go to and listen to. Try to help them deal with the deep pain, and it the pain, and it actually deepens the depression, even if it lifts them for a moment. And it's like the changes in the last ten years are just phenomenal. So does it change how we raise the world That's been that way since probably Cain and Abel, and it seems like Adam and Eve probably didn't understand it. But as of today. We can raise these little ones, keep their conscience clear, keep their countenance clear. Watch a child's countenance when he's asked to do something that he would rather not. told you a lot about the respect factor. And again, don't bring condemnation for it, but bring change in a healthy way.